Hello and uh, welcome to the Architecture Podcast, our outlet and your inlet to all topics in the intersection of finance, economics, and architecture. I want to introduce the host of this podcast, myself, Felipe Flores. Uh, Zane Ross. And I'm Owen Dimitri. Nice pause there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, for this episode, we're going to be talking about sustainability and we're going to be breaking this up into two parts. Um, just because we know the wide range that sustainability can cover, uh, things can cover like global warming, uh, finance, uh, finite resources, water reuse, and a stressed city's infrastructure all play a role in the need for sustainable practices in both urban environments and the use of materiality. And beyond affecting a c- uh, residents of a city, like those in the city of Portland and the students who inhabit uh, the campus of Portland State University, urban sustainability practices can directly impact the strategic approach that architects, urban planners, and governmental agencies take to ensure that buildings evolve with their communities. Saying that and knowing sustainability is such a large topic of conversation, we're going to break out our conversation into two parts. Uh, One is this topic of today's episode, urban sustainability, and the other, which we'll cover next week, is material sustainability. So I think before we get too far down the rabbit hole, we want to better define what is a green building and what is sustainability from our perspective. To the first part, uh, green building is a design, construction, or operation practice that encompasses the environmental, economic, and social impacts of a building. This could be geared towards reducing water consumption, energy costs, or other natural resources to provide a healthy and productive indoor environment. I think this definition plays really well with the core of of what sustainability is as well, uh, as sustainability is whether on a macro scale like urban sustainability or a micro scale like materiality is recognizing. And I want to emphasize that um, that point uh, is we as a community have to recognize the how all of those systems weave together and how we can meet the needs of the present while also not constraining the ability for future generations to meet their needs. And so with that being said, I want to open it up to our other co-host and, and see their perspective uh, from a finance and architecture. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just kind of want to like comment on this briefly, but uh, since I, I am the finance guy, um, for, for sustainability, I think really hitting home the point of, you know, reusability and less wastefulness like instead of building a building and then you know tearing it down not too much later and then rebuilding it or you know remodeling it building it for future generations for long-term usefulness is probably the best idea i mean this if we look at environmentalism and sustainability in our everyday lives one of the arguments that is being made is reusing items so using less uh, throw like wasteable plastics for packaging um instead of buying new clothes you thrift them getting rid of fast fashion and just buying stuff that is going to last a longer time instead of buying something that you can just wear it'll put a hole in it shortly like a couple months then you throw it away buy something new rinse and repeat so the idea of being sustainable really is centered around reusing products and actually from a financial standpoint you're also going to be spending less money in the long run um unfortunately this isn't a luxury most people have 
But with uh, thrifting being so popular as it is nowadays, lots of sites out there as well, eBay, Grailed, um, and plenty of thrift shops around town, uh, you can really easily go and buy high-quality items instead of having to or buy them high-quality at a low price instead of going out buying new items at a high price or buying really cheap, wasteable items at a low price. I will say... While that does make sense, I think it makes sense more for things like retail goods. Um, yes. One yes. of those, in terms of uh, what impacts sustainability the most with architecture, I feel like it's less of how durable those materials are, and it's mm -hmm. more of how many pollutants um, producing those materials make. Yeah. So I, that's one thing also that I think Felipe, you mentioned briefly, is just people need uh, a lot of large part of sustainability is just people realizing how much they waste and how how much they pollute. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize how polluting architecture is really um, or construction is, I should say. Um, yeah, I mean. It is the number one source of greenhouse gas pollutants. Um, and a lot of that comes from uh, transportation and then also just on straight manufacturing the materials. But um, for I, I'll say for a lot of architectural materials, they do have a really long lifetime to them for the most part. Um, as long as those materials are taken care of, you know, so I, I see a lot of places that, you know, get these nice materials and then just let them, you know, rot there and then say, well, hey, why did this, why did this product not last this long? That's not what it says on the box, you know? Um, and I think, I think more people need to realize that keeping something alive is more than just having it, you know? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It, it it changes our perspective on how we look at the world, on how we look at our environment, at our, at our buildings. Um, that individual awareness for sustainability, I mean, it, it's only continuing to grow as the years progress, as the days progress. It's, it's heightening um, more and more every day. Um, and what that really emphasizes, especially in the city of Portland and the Pacific Northwest as a whole, is is that a systematic approach needs to occur. Uh, to your point, Zane, if, if we're utilizing a specific material right. for construction, it's, it's what, what do we have a systematic approach to keep transit costs down, to keep waste costs down, to keep um, debris um, levels down? Uh, and, and that kind of, from an architectural standpoint, I mean, it, it really impacts the way we build cities. Um, the decisions we make and the actions we take towards maintaining that environmental balance. I, I don't know if we could maintain an environmental balance, but from an economic standpoint, I, I think that's that's where all the eyes are at, right? <laughs> I, I, I know um, Owen would kind of agree with that, that someone's always looking at the books from, from a money standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. Um, it's actually very interesting. So in Habitat did a... Uh wrote an article kind of about green buildings and energy and efficiency. And to what you said, Zane, 
buildings are actually responsible for over 40% of total emissions out there. But uh, to make a green building, um, it's actually only 5% higher over conventional buildings, the cost of making it. Um, so it's a lot less than people would actually think. And after uh, surveying people in a report titled Energy Efficiency in Buildings, Business Realities and Opportunities, which is linked in the In Habitat article, um, most people believe the costs of going green were 300% higher than what they really are, or about 70, 17% above conventional construction costs, which is actually like pretty huge, the difference. I mean, 17% versus 5%. Percent that that's crazy. In addition, um, most buildings actually have a higher return on uh, the costs. Let's see. In a report uh, published by the U.S. Green Buildings Council uh, called, titled "Costs and Benefits Fact Sheet," um, there is a premium for buildings. So this is more specific. It's a zero point seven to a seven percent range on average, about four dollars per square foot more to actually build the building but that return on investment is often between $50 to $65 per square foot which the return on investment is actually higher for green buildings because you can charge more because you're saying it's a green building uh, versus non-green buildings i will say also though that there are more costs to making a green building than just money um so like if say you wanted to you know make your building more green and you you had this design and say your client came to you and was like okay like this is a cool design i love this but i want to make it more green so that it's more appealing i can get more money back out of it in the long run you can do that and that's all fine and it's great but you can also then take disadvantages in terms of uh what your design is a lot of times those things can be super restricting, especially if you're trying to go for something like a certified green building through LEED or any other program. It has to be very specific about what you do. So a lot of times having those green systems can harm your your uh, design of the building. I would agree with that. Yeah, it would alter your approach to uh, how tall you want to make your ceilings, how wide you want to make that room, how how wide you want to make that beam span across across that given room. Um, I, I think that's the same kind of scenario we encountered, or architects encountered in the past, whether that's when uh, glass first came out or steel uh, was, was readily available or, or more amenable to make buildings out of. Um, I think in the long run, if we learn how to adapt to it, if we learn how to manipulate uh, green materials, um, I think we'll come out with some awesome designs. And I think we've seen a lot of awesome designs already, whether that's through greenhouses or uh, some of these more uh, sustainable buildings that are being made around the world. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, I feel like it's also sort of moving more in trend um, to be more green and have a certain aesthetic to your building that makes it look more green you know um and so having those factors in your building i think is becoming uh more and more prevalent which is great it's it's awesome um i mean you see tons of buildings now that have all that you know open pipe work and stuff like that the exposed pipe work and um 
that's that's really great because it it opens up an avenue to be more efficient with how you use your space and how you construct that space that can really impact your footprint. So the one thing I do want to say, and actually, Zane, you you probably I think you commented this to me, um, but in Cannon Beach, there's this one supermarket. Um, I'm I'm totally blanking on the name of it, but it's down in Tolvana, right across from Moe's Chowder, and they recently like redid it, and it like kind of has that greenish look, modern, nice, almost new seasonsy Whole Food style. There's like a bunch of exposed stuff in there, but they have like this one beam across there, which has like no structural support reason whatsoever. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, yeah. So this 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 grocery store. I I will say also this being like it looked real nice it was good but um it was this like huge wooden beam I mean huge um to support the roof where it it didn't need to be nearly that large like it I would say it was maybe like two three feet tall and something like that yeah. Um, and then about a foot wide when really all you needed for that space was probably, you know, uh, a footer tall at, yeah. at most, especially because there were multiple beams running throughout the building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is kind of, this may venture into the materiality side, which we're actually saving for a future episode. But my question to you two as architects, um, what are like some instances that you've like seen in like just in your lives of buildings that are obviously like look like they're trying to be sustainable, but aren't with how they're actually built? <laughs> that's uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a tough question. I feel like that, that is a good example just because it isn't a very economical use of resources. Um, but I don't, it's a tough thing to sort of point out a lot of the times because like you'll see a lot of times buildings that say have like, you know, a living wall on them or something like that. And that'll give you that sort of connotation that, Oh, that's, that's a good building. That's a green building. And that, you know, might not be true at all. They might have super inefficient systems inside, but because they have that green wall outside, it makes them seem like, Oh, like, we're with the crowd, you know, we're being friendly, that kind of a thing. I think when you ask them about it, if you, if you say, hey, how's that sustainable uh, feature outside your building and no one really knows how to explain it, I, I think that's the telltale sign of it's for show as more of it's really in practice. Um, it is, it's yeah. a super tough question. And I think you guys alluded to it. You guys hit it right on is your eyes tell the story. If, if, if it looks weird to your eyes, if it looks out of place out of normal then it is out of place and it's not a functioning part of the building itself it's it's there for presentation to get people in yeah for sure i <laughs> think one of the um one of the good a good thing to look for when looking for a building that's actually sustainable is something like a, a certification like a lead certification or something like that um lead uh, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, it's a certification system that um, 
that essentially uh, you can apply for a lead certification for your building that you're designing to have it marked as a lead certified green building. That was sort of an awful way to describe that. But um, so you'll see in some buildings on a wall near an entrance, usually a little like glass plaque hanging there that'll say lead certified on it. Um, and there's, there's varying levels of that depending on how green that building is. Um, I will say from what I've heard, at least the lowest one is it like it's it's hard to get you have to really plan for that so if you do see a lead certified building then you know that that has some really good systems in it um and if you see one that is the top tier which i can't remember the name of right now um that that building they know what they're doing you know they they put some serious effort into making that building green Mm -hmm. yeah um i I actually want to kind of just briefly, well, I want to talk about lead a little bit more um, and talk a little bit about uh, kind of psychology and uh, I guess some of the economics that goes into like making a building sustainable. Um, But whenever I see the lead building, it always makes me like feel happy. It's like, Oh yay. We we have like a sustainable building here or, or something else along those lines. And I think, partly why people may be going for you know beyond just the environmental reasons of having the lead certification is for like the psychological price reason people when they see what they imagine as a green building whether it be lead certified or if it just as you said having a green wall then they can often say oh yeah no this is a green building we can charge higher for it and then they get more money for it even if it's not really green it may look like it like having you know, exposed tubing or exposed electrics or HVAC systems or whatever and have that kind of industrial feel, but it might not actually be that green in the end. It may just be giving off that feeling of it. So that's that's one kind of thing of warning I want to say to people is just be cautious of what buildings you're you're looking at renting. And if it's like saying, oh yeah, it's green. Is it really green? Do your research. <laughs> I yeah, I'd agree with that and and to put a fine point on that I, I pulled up the lead website uh it says a lead building is any building that uses less energy, less water, avoids wastes, uh saves on maintenance costs, improves indoor air quality offering comfort to their occupants and creating less environmental burden on their community. And so in essence they are a they are truly a regulatory agency. But to Owen's point, they unify all of us together by having someone vet that building is to to Owen's point is to say, you state your green building, but we want lead to go through your documents and kind of certify that you you were doing what you're saying you're doing. Um, and oh, Zane brought it up earlier. Like all things, lead applies rankings. And those rankings are exactly what you'll think of, of they are is silver, gold, platinum. Uh, so that way it's the most relatable kind of uh, stamp you could get because most people can associate the monetary value of silver, gold versus platinum um, in terms of a scale, at least. Yeah, I, I do have one question for you, too. Um, 
Is LEAD a government re uh, regulatory agency or private? That is a good question. I'm pretty sure that it's technically private, yeah. um, but it is um, it is like it's a standard, you know. It it's not just some company that one day people were kind of like, yeah, all right, this this one kind of makes sense, you know. It, it's it is more common than that. Okay, yeah, because I, I just want to make sure for, for everybody out there, it's not something along the lines of the Better Business Bureau where you pay to get, you know, a rank from them. Uh, and it's actually something, like, legit, and so that way we know, it's like, when we see this, it's something we can actually trust. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, it, it's it's not something where it's just like, oh, I, I gave this business, you know, a couple grand, now I get a little plaque on my building. It's not that at all. It it is legitimately a, a regulate a regulatory agency that monitors how efficient your building is. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, and and I will say also that there are plenty of other countries besides the U.S. that have um, their own systems like LEED, um, but there are also a lot that don't have anything like that, um, and so buildings in a lot of other countries, especially, uh, what's the right word? I guess just third world countries. Um, a lot of times their buildings can be super detrimental just because they don't have anything checking in on that. They don't have nearly as many regulations about building standards. They don't have certifications. They don't have a lot of the resources even to be more sustainable. I, I have one more question for you two. And as somebody who's not uber familiar with architecture and more enjoys the look of it than anything else, um, what, like, what really goes into, like, you know, making a building more sustainable? I guess, like, retrofitting one or even, like, you know, just, just building an existing one. Like, what can you guys do as architects to make sure a building is a little bit more sustainable? I, I think that's relative to each architect, right, Zane? I, I think you'd agree that uh, each architect is kind of unique amongst themselves. Yeah, for sure. I think it also highly depends on the building. Yeah, the the um, goal, at least, for that building. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and, like, what sort of materials you're going to be using for that building. If it's a, you know, high-rise concrete structure, then there are definitely some go-to things that'll help. Um, like Felipe, you mentioned before with sizing of rooms, making the space the most efficient, that kind of a thing. That's uh, a really important factor. Um, but then also just making sure that your materials are sourced right is really important. If you say want this stone that only comes from, you know, the West coast of Italy or something like that, yeah it might look nice it might seem fancy but the actual cost environmentally to get that stone from the west coast of italy to your building is tremendous and it greatly outweighs the possibility of sourcing a stone from a local quarry you know um so i 
there are a lot of factors and we'll definitely get into more of that sort of side of things in the next episode um talking about materiality but um yeah there are tons of factors and to kind of separate those into two parts i mean sustainable to an occupant is how often do i have to maintenance it versus sustainable for an environmental mind is how impactful is it on the environment you could have a very sustainable building but the occupant sees that amount of maintenance because an environmental system or a sustainable system requires maintenance requires constant um, monitoring to make sure that it's it's running as it should um, and so to kind of break those two things apart from one an environmental mind to the person who actually occupies that space uh, sustainable could mean a variety of things not just um, environmental at least yeah that's definitely true um i feel like with some of the most efficient and environment environmentally friendly or environmentally st sustainable um, practices that you can have in a building also a lot of times there does come a lot of maintenance with that um, which like we were talking about before owen is one of those other costs to being green um, so I, there are a lot of different methods that you can use to go about making a building sustainable um, and they all have different factors that play into the design of that building and then how you're going to experience it too and to kind of uh take that and and run with it and, and kind of lead us into our segment break i just wanted to highlight that according to portland state university's website which is it's fairly nice nowadays they, they had a significant upgrade uh, to it in the past couple of weeks uh, the Princeton Review, which is a test prep and college readiness website, has named PSU among the top green colleges in the nation, since we're talking green colleges sustainability. Um, according to the website, this recognition recognizes their efforts to find practical solutions for sustainability. And green colleges are determined based on a combination of school reported data, like the school's policies and its sustainable practices curriculum, what they teach in school, how how many people they have in their department, and student opinion, which is always hit or miss, but it, it rates the level of environmental awareness and conversation and conservation efforts the school has and continues to maintain. Um, and I think with that, uh, we'll talk about that after the jump, but uh, we'll kind of lean into one of our segment breaks. All right there, everybody. Today, I'd like to tell you about a couple things going on. First off, uh, the new podcast, Your Own Mind, just had their first episode, and it's now live on the PSU Vanguard website. Um, situa situational Significance is on a brief hiatus right now. Um, so while they're taking that brief hiatus, go check out Your Own Mind. Um, and you can find... Those two podcasts, as well as all the other Vanguard uh, media at psuvanguard.com, as well as on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, if you want any any other info about the show, want to leave any comments, anything like that, head on over to psuvanguard.com. Check out the Multimedia tab. Okay, great. Thanks for uh, joining us again. And and to kind of continue our discussion from our, our conversation break uh, and highlighting that PSU has is, is recently been named one of the top green colleges in the nation. 
we kind of wanted to bring it home and, and focus on a micro level on this back half of the of the episode and to focus on Portland State and which buildings are we have that are sustainable or have a sustainable are sustainable minded, um, which are a bunch, really. Um, these could lead from Miller Library bike garage uh, to the three greenhouses we use on campus for the biology, physics and environmental departments. This also could be applied towards the urban center for uh, urban center building and also Shattuck Hall. Um, and looking at Shattuck Hall in particular, because two of us are architecture majors and because we use that building almost every day, um, I, I want to focus on that and kind of bring that to the surface and talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, there's a, there's a really cool system in there, for those of you who don't know, um, that uh, actually makes the building a lot more efficient um, through its HVAC system. Um, and so for those of you who, who don't know, um, in Shattuck Hall, they have a system where instead of using um, primarily ductwork and using all air um, for their HVAC, um, which I should mention uh, is the heating and cooling system for a building. Um, they use pipes that run different temperature water throughout the ceilings of the building. So you'll see in especially the third floor of Shattuck, there are these dropped ceiling panels that have uh, copper tubes that run along the top of them that bring that uh, temperature controlled water through the building and that radiates heat out from them, which is pushed down into the room. Um, and that is a lot more efficient than a, your standard HVAC system. So if, if you guys ever get the chance to go check that out, definitely do. It's a very cool system. Um, and it actually looks very pretty with the pipework exposed. A lot of departments share Shattuck Hall, right? I, mean, I think we have the arts department down in the basement. We have that fab shop that everyone uses on campus. Yep, um, yep. So it's, I think it's easily accessible, too, for people to explore and walk around. It's not as highly um, uh, constrained as some of the other buildings on campus. Yeah, for sure. There is the, the, I will say, the main feature piece of where you can see those panels is the third floor, which is reserved for only architecture students. But if you ever make friends with an architecture student, you know, you'll get the special opportunity. <laughs> I think if they're listening too, they got they got friends in architecture and finance for for yeah. Owen's point. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, like finance, we we have Carl Miller. Uh, same with all the other business students. <laughs> so quite a lot of people have access to to Carl Miller, though. A lot of people have access to the Bloomberg terminals. Yay, yay, finance students. Um, but the one thing I wanted to kind of talk about with Shattuck Hall as well, um, is what I what I find cool is that it's a repurposed building, right? It used to be, uh, it was a elementary school, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I mentioned this on the first episode, actually. Yeah, it was, um, it's an old elementary school that uh, burned down, it was like three or four times, maybe. Um, something like that. I can't remember the exact number. But um, yeah, so it's an old elementary school that was in this spot on the park blocks and is now the architecture building. Um, there are a bunch of new sort of upgrades that have happened to it though. If you're, if you're ever on the second floor of that building, you'll see the big open office. That's, that's all renovated obviously. And then like we were talking about the HVAC system 
that's um, completely new and was retrofitted by the school. Yeah, I, I think I, I love it when colleges will kind of, you know, take older buildings and then retrofit them with like newer sustainable improvements because one, like you're keeping that existing building there. And then two, you're also, you know, keeping uh, some of that history and reusing materials and just making it better. And that's something that actually Oregon State University has done. Uh, or w what they do is that they will laser scan the outside of the building and then they'll redo the interior to be more environmentally friendly and to uh, more sustainable, but then have the outside be the same as it once was to kind of keep some of that history there. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's fairly large, too. You, you pointed to it. It's an old elementary school. And so I think it it comes in at about 40,000 square feet, net assignable square feet. So usable square feet, excluding custodial and circulation hallways, things like that. That's a pretty big building. And to achieve sustainability at that scale is pretty impressive, especially with the number of people that use that space. Um and I kind of want to highlight a, a quick anecdote from the PSU website. It said that it's a three-story masonry brick building, and PSU acquired it in July of 1969 for $1,150,000. $1, in 1969 money, that must have been a lot. And today, plus the upgrades, uh, I bet that's, that's um, getting pretty up there for a sustainable building, at least from a finance standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think it's really important also that buildings like Shattuck are more sustainable in some of their systems that they use. Um, just because sort of like you're, what you guys were saying is, um, it is a building that gets used a lot. It's one of the only buildings that has full 24 access for certain students because we have the architecture students have the studio space on the third floor and we can be there anytime. So a lot of times you'll see all the lights on the third floor on late at night, even throughout the entire night. Um, that's happens, unfortunately, often, but um, you'll see that because there are students there all the time. And so having systems that are a lot more efficient is really important for a building like that. And just looking at the project history, I, I think we could see how that building has evolved over time, uh, responding to the things you guys pointed to, the, the seismic bracing, accessibility improvements, um, circulation improvements. I think the response or the evolution of this building over time really reflects how those people use that space. Uh, I know from an architecture standpoint, we use every square inch, both horizontal and vertical, once we run out of floor space. Yeah, Um yeah, I, I kind of have a question for you guys. Um, what other other buildings in Portland would you say are like good sustainable examples? Federal building, I would point to the IRS federal building uh, in downtown with the uh, external uh, wall screen. I, I, I would I point to that. I was about to say the exact same building. Actually, <laughs> it's so close to us. I mean, it's so close. It's it's visible. It's a government building. Um, there's multiple departments. Um, it, I, none of us ever want to go to the IRS building or to see the IRS. But when you do, it's it's a wonderful building. So when you say wall screen, what does that what does that mean? So there's a sort of a cladding system that they have on the outside of the building. 
um, that are these sort of metal wireframe panels that run all the way up the building. Um, you should, uh, I would highly recommend either checking out the building or at the very least looking up a picture of it. But um, they, so there are these wireframe screens that run up the entirety of the building. And at the base of these, they have vines growing. So eventually these vines will be growing all the way up those screens and you'll have just a full wall of green on the side of this essentially skyscraper. And I, I probably want to correct that. It's the Edith Green Wendell Wyatt Federal Building. <laughs> That's the full full name. Um, we truncate it um, just to make it come off the tongue a little bit better. Um, but to, to Zane's point, the external screen, it shreds direct light. Uh, it allows shade and wind currents to temper interior climates. Um, and it also includes a rain harvesting system providing recycled water to the irrigation and non-potable systems. And that's what we'll, we see a lot in sustainability and urban design, at least, is try to reuse uh, gray water or wastewater as much as possible. Um, as well as the federal building also has a bunch of solar thermal panels that provide about 30% of the building's hot water needs, similar to Shattuck Hall. Yeah, I think water collection and especially gray water systems is one that I feel like people sort of know roughly about in the back of their heads, but they never really, never really consider too much, you know, but even just collecting rainwater um, is, is such a good system and it's a good idea. And it honestly, it really, really helps. Um, there are so many inefficiencies in how we use some of our simple basic resources like water that they seem sort of mind boggling that it's, it's just accepted how inefficient these systems are. So I think any way that we can work to improve those systems, like we see in the federal building or whatever that long proper name of it was, yeah, um, is, is really, is really a good idea. And it's, it's a really important initiative to take. I think it gives a great sense of ownership to that building as well, that the, the people using the building, uh, I know Owen talked about the Carl Miller Center. When, when, when you give the people who use that building a sense of ownership, they, they take responsibility for maintaining that space, which is the core of sustainability. Um, and and by, just by following just the best practices, whether you're LEED certified or not, just following the best practices, you gain so much value in return without ever knowing it or seeing a physical return um, like we do with money or something growing a living structure. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I feel like it's also important with that sense of ownership to have these buildings that are federal or government owned in some way to be those buildings that stand out as, as exemplary buildings because those are the ones that people are going to look to when they look to see how our government treats things. So if if you have a building that's just this boring sort of warehouse block kind of a thing, it, people aren't going to think very highly of it. And it's not going to paint a good image on that government system. So it's not going to make them think 
that they should respect it as much or that they should respect where they are as much. So I think having a building like the federal building that does implement those sustainable ideas and looks fantastic, in my opinion, at least, um, I think that's really important. And it, it really helps people understand that we as a community want to incorporate these things into our society. Yeah, and we're seeing those that type of things pop up um, around the city of Portland, around the Pacific Northwest. One really quickly would be this new urban development neighborhood, uh, Haslow on 8th over in Northeast Portland. They created a biohabitat um, to recycle their wastewater. And the wastewater is similar to the federal building, which it serves for irrigation purposes. It serves for um, non-potable water. So any flushings of the toilets, any kind of uh, utilitarian uses for water. Um, and and it looks really nice by the, by the website and by their schematics. It, it looks awesome. They used a bunch of local architects and engineers to devise this plan. It, recycles 45,000 gallons of water per day, according to the Oregon state requirements that they have to. Um, and they're provided with a local wetland. They're living and breathing in a environment that grows with them. Um, and I, I thought that was really a really cool local thing you could see in five, 10 minutes drive, no matter where you're at in Portland, depending on traffic, of course, which is, I think, the the biggest uh, thing to watch. I think right now though, the traffic should probably not be too much of a problem. I, we say that, but I, I, every time I go out, it's pretty, it's pretty packed out there. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. I, it is a little better than normal though. Um, yeah. I, th I think though that that building is a really great example of how to be sustainable and forward thinking. Um, and I think, I, I think there is, an element to that of keeping the natural environment and a natural environment that can habitat, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it, I guess animals and plants that are native. That's the word native. Um, <laughs> um, having an environment that can house native uh, plants and animals, flora and fauna, is really important because if, if you get rid of all that environment, then, you know, then you're making this world just about us, you know, and this world isn't just for us. It's for, it's for all the things that are on it. So I think keeping in mind those things when looking into any type of infrastructure is, is a really important thing. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I'd want to shout out to the uh, sea turtles. I think with the reduction in outdoor activity, sea turtles are, are on the rise, their population. Um, and I, I, I want to kick that over to Owen to see. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah no, uh, I, I'm glad the sea turtles on the, are on the rise. As an avid diver, you know, any, any additional sea life is greatly appreciated. But, I mean, just kind of closing thoughts here, I just want to say is, you know, Sustainability can pay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of the finance guy here to bring things back to reality and bring things back to money, which, you know, our world is controlled by. But uh, making, even though the initial cost of making a green building is higher, 
in the long run, it actually pays to be green. So kind of, kind of take a look at that, take it as you will. But, uh, you know, we, we talk about architecture on the podcast, which, you know, it's kind of hard to relate to your lives, but, uh, thinking about what we're talking about, you know, making things for the long term, uh, just, you know, doing what you can with what you have, um, or, you know, repurposing existing items into, you know, new things as like Shattuck Hall has been done, repurposing that building into something new, uh, retrofitting it. Um, but just kind of want to throw that out there. Just any little bit helps for sustainability. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, well, I think, I think, guys, that was a great, uh, great start to I dive within urban sustainability. Uh, I look forward to talking about next week, uh, sustainability some more next week and taking a micro look at uh, material sustainability. I think we're going to talk about Wang Shu's Ningbo History Museum, um, built from the remains of demolished villages and more. Uh, that concludes this episode of Architecture Podcast. I, I, I wanted to make one quick correction. So next yeah. next episode, we're actually doing a well-being episode. We're taking a break from sustainability. That's going to line up with the wellness guide for Portland State Vanguard. Um, but the episode after that, we're going to be coming back to sustainability. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, like I said, uh, please feel free to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, PSU's Vanguard website, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to listen to old episodes and submit questions and topics uh, to our uh, blog posts. Uh, this discussion has been great for me, guys. Yeah, it's for me. Thank, thanks, you guys. Yep, I've had a great time. Thank you guys for listening and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye.